If you happen to bring a Bible with you this morning, that'd be really good when you consider the subject of this message. Even if you didn't, that's okay. Stuff will go up on the, on the monitor when it needs to. But if you have one, find Psalm 119. We're still doing our study of 1 Thessalonians, but we're starting in the greatest chapter on the Bible, in the Bible, the 119th Psalm. You'll be thankful that I won't go through the entire thing. Solomon said, and in this era in which we're living, highly political era, elections coming up in just over a week, he said, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In the middle 1800s, Daniel Webster, a name that's really synonymous with uh, the patriarchs of of our country, Statesman, U.S. representative, senator, three-time state uh, secretary of state, and fervent follower of Jesus, wrote these words. Listen carefully. He said, if there's anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due to my parents for instilling in me an early love for the scriptures. If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. And he starts by saying his parents gave him an early love of scriptures. Let me ask you a question. Do you love the Bible? I didn't ask you if you read it. That's good if you do. But do you love the Bible? And is is that even a fair question? Love the Bible? Yeah, love. In verse 97, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your word. It is my meditation all the day long. The Bible is not a magic book, but it is a miraculous book. And feel free to say amen anytime. I mean, listen to, listen to how it's described by its own writers. Uh, Paul says that, the, that God gave us his word. It was breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. When you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. Uh, the, the, Peter tells us that as, the, as the, those, those 40 writers are writing uh, these Chapters throughout the Word of God, it says they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The writer of Hebrews says that unlike every other Bible on your shelf, this one is living and active. That's how miraculous it is. As someone else has said, men don't reject the Bible because it it contradicts itself. They reject the Bible because it contradicts them. And I love this, as Paul was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, he says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to sanctify you, give you an inheritance amongst the saints. The Bible is a vehicle by which we get the grace of God. You are holding in your hands. You have a Bible, if you have a Bible, hold it in your hands right now. If you have a hard copy, if you have an electronic version, oh well. Even so, hold it. You are holding a miracle in your hands. It's a miracle. Think about it. One book, 66 books within that one book, 
1,500 years in the making. 40 different writers from all sorts of cultures and subcultures and other kinds of cultures. You have kings and priests and prophets. You have a military general. You have a cupbearer. You have a prime minister. You got a farmer. Amos was a farmer. You got fishermen. You got a theologian and a doctor all writing this one book, and yet perfect unity, no contradictions, 100% accuracy. Hallelujah! Everything it talks about is accurate. No wonder when Trevor Mears, one of our guys, preached on, on the scripture here a couple of months ago, he titled his message, Bring Me the Parchments. Oh, I, I love that title. He stole it from me. <laughs> Paul said that. He was in this Roman mamertine prison. He's dying. He's going to die. He's going to meet the Roman Acts. He says, Timothy, it's cold here. Bring me a cloak. I got some books. Bring me those books. But especially bring me the parchments. Because I need to hear from God before I die. That's why it's no secret to many of you to know that since September 6, 1982, I have never once left my home, ever, to stand before the faces of men before I sit before the face of God. I won't do it because I know myself too well. This is the only book, by the way, where the author is present every time you read it. Just listen to what some of those authors in this book said. Jeremiah, said, Jeremiah the prophet said, Your word I did find, and I did eat it, and it was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Have you ever read that? Job said, I have treasured the words of your mouth more, more than my necessary food. Jesus said, quoting Moses, Man shall not, what? He won't live by bread alone. you got to have bread but you can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus said. The apostle Paul said, all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. You are complete with this. Equipped for every good work. Peter said, you are born again, if you're born again, which isn't all of you, but those of you who are, you are born again, not by perishable seed, but by imperishable, by the living word of God. And just a few verses later, he said, he says, like newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. Now, it's, we haven't, men have not always had, like you, this kind of privilege that we have to hold the Bible in our hands. In fact, the writer of Hebrews puts it like this in the very first verse, very first chapter. He says this, Hebrews 1 and verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. He spoke to us, to the fathers, by the prophets. Now, how did he do that? Well, he did it, first of all, with Moses, he spoke face to face. How cool would that be? With Isaiah, he heard the voice of the Lord, which said, who shall I send? But who will go for us? With Elijah, God heard a still, small, what? Voice. Daniel got the word of God through visions and dreams. Imagine if you were Peter, James, and John. In Matthew 17, those three guys go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus transfigures himself in all of his 
second coming resplendent glory. Peter goes, goofy, you want me to make a house for you? What in the world? God speaks out of heaven, the Father, God speaks out of heaven, this is my son, listen to him. It's amazing. Can you imagine anything more incredible than to experience not only Jesus in the flesh, but the the glory of the second coming Jesus in the flesh? They got all that. It can't get any better than that, can it? Say amen. Tricked you. It does get better. Because actually, Peter, think about that. Think about the generation that followed Peter, James, and John. Peter wrote to them. They would have been just one click away from that experience that Peter, James, and John had on the Mount of Transfiguration. They would have been the ones saying, oh, geez, if we could have just been there to see that. Now he's in heaven, and we're going to be just like those people in 2020. And so Peter actually alludes to that moment in 2 Peter 1 when he saw the glory of Jesus. And he says to them, as he says to you and I, We have a more sure word of prophecy. How cool is that? We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about the scriptures. So today when all these false teachers, these charlatans, these kooks that are out there, a plenty, who are out there just saying, oh, I have a revelation from God. I have a word of knowledge for you. I have a word for you. Isaiah said to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Have you ever read that? I mean, just last week, 90-year-old Pat Robinson, please, Pat, just go to heaven. He spoke up, you know, I guarantee Donald Trump is going to win the election, and then an asteroid is going to hit the earth. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Just go to heaven. (laughs) The word of God is the only book with a promise from God himself. To change your heart, to change your life, and to change your destiny. Did you know that? This isn't a magic book, but it is a miraculous book. And its power to do those things is repeated throughout Scripture and never anywhere else than declared in the 119th Psalm. I'm not going to show these verses, but I'm going to show you the reference. The first thing I want you to notice is that the Word of God opens my eyes to truth. The entrance of your Word brings light, he said. That's what the Word of God, it brings light into us. And some of your Bibles say in that, it says, the unfolding of your Word brings light. So, that, that the Word of God keeps, keeps bringing light into our, our lives. This is what we, theologians call progressive th- sanctification, which requires progressive unfolding in our understanding of God. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he said, Timothy, listen to this, Timothy was raised by a godly mom. He had an ungodly father. Know anybody like that? I'm sure you do. But here's Timothy Paul says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, remember that from a child, you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Can you imagine the joy I had when I walked in this morning in the first service? I saw three children, all of them under the age of 10. The middle one had a Bible open. The other one had their memorization cards, and they were in the word. From childhood, you've known the holy scripture. Why? Because it's able to make you wise. Open your eyes. 
to salvation. Secondly, it makes me morally pure. How shall a young man keep his way clean? Good question. By taking heed according to your word. Men, men, high schoolers, young ones. I'm talking just to you men right now. Do you want to be morally pure? That wasn't a rhetorical question. I'm asking the question. Men, do you want to be morally pure? Of course you do then take heed to the word of God. The Bible is like a spiritual bar of soap on your mind. Jesus said, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. It sets us apart. It sanctifies us. It is what keeps us morally pure. Thirdly, it is my ultimate counselor. We have a full-time counselor here. We have a whole team of, we have a whole team of counselors because there are so many issues in people's lives and so many times it's just because they're not participating, delving, loving the word of God. And the 24th verse says, your testimonies are my delight and they're my counselors. You show me a counselor, a Christian counselor, who cannot work his or her way around the Bible, and I'll show you somebody who needs to be looking for another line of work. Because this is where truth is found, our ultimate counselor. And it lifts me out of my pit, for those of you who are there right now in the pit. Look at the 25th verse where he says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. The dust referred to here is a reference to our our broken state, our, our fallen state. And I cannot count the times my fallen state because I'm still, I'm still, you know, I'm still walking around with flesh and bone, right? Just like you. Has, I, I can't count, count the number of times my fallen state and my troubled circumstances have led me toward despair. But like Christian in the famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, when he ends up in Doubting Castle, this allegory that John Bunyan wrote, he, Christian ends up in this castle where there's big ogres just beating on him in his dream, because like like you and me, we fall into doubt. Anybody here ever fall into doubt? We struggle, we question, we wonder if it's true. And he he likens him and his partner, they're they're in this doubting castle, they're filled with doubt, and suddenly he remembers, oh, wait a minute, I got a key in my pocket. It's called promise, referring to the scripture. He pulls his key out, sticks it in the door. The light floods. They get out. They are free from their imprisonment. And the same thing will happen to you if you will choose to love the scriptures. Doubting castle will open. The light will come in. You'll be free. It lifts me out of my pit. And then, fifthly, I love this one. It enlarges my heart. Look at the 32nd verse. I will run in the way of your commands when you enlarge. The Hebrew means to widen, just like it sounds. Widen my heart. I, I think I shared something this a couple of years ago, but, you know, the Breeders' Cup is coming for all you big horse fans, you know, horse racing fans. But the greatest horse of all time, bar none, n- nobody even close, was Secretariat. 1973, they called him Big Red. Won the Triple Crown, run, going away, running away, literally. Eventually, when he died, Secretariat died, they autopsied it. They autopsied the horse. 
A normal racing horse has a heart that weighs eight to nine pounds. That's a big heart. Secretariat's heart was estimated of weighing 22 pounds. The one who performed the autopsy wrote these words. He said, we stood there in stunned silence. We couldn't believe it. The heart was perfect. It was just this huge engine. Now, physiologically, if you have an enlarged heart, that's, that's a life-threatening situation. But spiritually speaking, that's a great situation. And you might be saying, what does it mean? That seems so vague to me. Listen, when you think about getting an enlarged spiritual heart, think, ready for the word, capacity. Think of the word capacity. When God enlarges your heart as you love the word of God, he will increase your capacity for compassion, for service, for love, for endurance. And so many of us need endurance. All of those things increase as the word is inculcated into our hearts. Sixthly, it leads me to repentance. Look at the 59th verse where he says, and this is a literal interpretation of what it means to repent. You've heard that word many times. Here's what it says. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Well, there it is. You know, the New Testament word repent is the word metanoia. It literally means to change your mind or to change your thinking. That's what it, that's what it means. And you have to think before you change. And the psalmist is saying, when I think upon my ways, I turn my way, I turn toward your testimony. That is to repent. Do you remember the story of mutiny on the bounty? True story, 1789, the, the HMS Bounty down in the South Pacific, the sailors rebelled. They set their captain adrift, and they went to the island of Pekarin Island in the South, South Pacific. And these godless sailors went onto this island, and they just caused a rampage because they were so god, godless, and they started killing each other off until there weren't that many of them left. One of them, his name was Alexander Smith, rummaging through the trunk that he'd brought above, uh, aboard the bounty, found a Bible that his mom had put in there. He started reading the Bible, and he was converted. His heart was changed. Started sharing. The whole island got saved. Years later, as people visited that island, they found it to be a, an absolute model for civilization. They didn't have a jail because they didn't need one. Their Lives were changed by the word of God. It led them to repentance. Seventh, the Bible speaks. Listen, this is really important. This might be the only one some of you need to know. I'm thinking not, but just in case. It speaks truth to me, no matter how I feel. It speaks truth to me, no matter how I feel. Now, this is an obscure verse I memorized a long time ago, but you want to look at it? In verse 83, the psalmist says, I'm like a wineskin in the smoke, but I don't forget your statutes. Now, a number of years ago, a young mother by the name of Stacy came to me, and she said, very honestly, she said, Pastor, I'm reading my Bible like you're telling us to, reading it regularly, reading it in the morning, but sometimes it's just so dry. You ever have that experience? It's just so dry. I mean, I don't, it, I'm not feeling anything. She said, what should I do? Are you ready for my profound answer? 
I said, keep reading. That was my answer. Because that's the answer the psalmist says. I'm like a wineskin in the smoke. A wineskin in the smoke is something dry and brittle. And the psalmist has recognized, sometimes I'm like that, but I don't forget your statutes. I keep going. I think God, by design, slots in those dry times in our life to test our faith, to trust him, to keep going, to keep reading, to keep hoping for the dew of heaven to drop down, and it will in time. The Bible speaks truth to me, no matter how I feel. Eighthly, it provides the means of my ability to discern truth from error. That, this is the, the verse you're seeing there is the verse right before the more popular one, your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The 104th verse, are you looking at it? Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Do you want to know how to discern between truth and error? Then just know the truth. I cannot, I, it's, it's inexplicable, but, and it's not because I'm smarter than anybody else. I'm just not. But I can't count the number of times that I have been faced with a situation and suddenly I knew whether that was true or false. And I, I, and I, 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 I could give illustrations that would just make you go, Wow, and it's not wow about me. I think it's just God, through his precepts, allowing us to discern between truth and error. Ninthly, it gives peace, great peace in me when nothing is at peace around me. I love this. Toward the very end, he says, great peace, not just peace, but great peace of those who love your law. Nothing makes them stumble. And when you have great peace in the midst of your difficult circumstances, your great peace will translate into great influence. I guarantee it. Because everybody else in this world is going through what you're going through. But they don't, they don't respond the way you respond. When you love the word of God, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing makes them stumble. You will, people will say, what is it about you? They'll come to you. We've seen it happen in our own church, and the results is they get saved. This is what the psalmist meant when he said, you know, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he climbed into me. He heard my cry. He brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock. He put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Now watch it. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. And when your life is changed by the power of the word of God, and God gives you peace in that awful circumstance that you're in, many will see it. They'll fear They'll fear God, that is, and they'll trust in the Savior. D.L. Moody said, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible. The other 99 will read the Christian. They're reading. I know what some of you are thinking. I thought we were going to be stu studying 1 Thessalonians. We are. We're going to go there right now. So here we go. 1 Thessalonians 2. We'll be quick. I want you to see one verse, really. I just want you to plant your eyes on this. Paul, who's so grateful for what God has been doing in these Thessalonians. They've received the truth. They're trumpeting the word of God. People are being changed. Everybody's hearing about it. And he says, and we also thank God constantly for this. 
that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accept it. Some of your Bibles may say welcomed. That's a better translation. You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is. I love that line. The word of God, which is that energeo. It's working. It's where we get our word energize. It's energizing you. Believers. The word of God. Did you see earlier where he says, the word of God, you received it, which you heard from us. The the Greek literally says uh, a word of hearing. Because remember, they didn't all have, you couldn't just open your Bible back in Bible times. You you got the Bible through the prophets, through the apostles. It was oratory. The Bible would become complete by the end of the first century and codified over the centuries to come. But they had to hear this word. You're hearing it now. I mean, just the other day, a godly woman in our church who's working with some patients, and she's got other ladies that she's meeting with. It's just so exciting, the joy she has in trying to reach her fellow workers. She was, actually had a patient who was a religious dude, but he wasn't a Christian. He was super inquisitive, going back and forth, back and forth, and, uh, and he was super open. She had a wonderful time. She all but set up a meeting with him. I'm hoping to be a part of that one, too. I don't know if it's going to happen. But she went from there into another place where there was another patient who happened to be a pastor's wife of a Bible-believing church. So ecstatically, she shared with her, you know, her great opportunity she had had just moments earlier. And the pastor's wife from that Bible-believing church said to her, well, he just needs to read his Bible. That might be just a little glib. Yes, the Bible is powerful enough to just change somebody's life and has done so on countless occasions. But the Bible often and most often requires God's people to direct, to guide, to point to, to speak it. Even remember, I just thought of this just now in Acts chapter 8, when the Ethiopian eunuch was in the chariot. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. Along comes, by the Spirit of God leading, along comes Philip. He says, what are you reading? He goes, I don't really understand. Nobody is explaining it to me. Well, he did, and he got saved. That's our job. And this is what Paul meant when he said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how how, how are they going to call on him whom they've they've not believed? How are they going to believe unless they hear? How are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to preach unless somebody sends them? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as a result, Paul says, you received it and you welcomed it. Our word is accepted, better translation, welcomed. It's the Hebrew, the nuance in the, in not the Hebrew, but the Greek, is, is, is that there's something personal going on. You, you receive the word, you listen to it, but then now I'm taking it in. I'm taking it in. I'm welcoming it. Like John says, as many as received him. To them, God gives the right to become the children of God, right? And notice what he says, not as the word of men. You you received it not as the word of men. Remember, the word of God is the only book with a promise from God himself to change your heart, to change your life, to change your destiny. The great Southern Baptist, Adrian Rogers they used to call him Old Golden Throat. He was, I, mean, I heard him preach once. I thought, I'll, I, I'd pay for that voice. 
He said once in a message, he said, whatever I talk you into, somebody else can talk you out of. But what God talks you into is yours forever. That's the reason why I don't give a blankety blank for psychology or anything else apart from the word of God. This is the only book with the promise to change your life. So take heed to the word of God. And did you notice at the very end, he says, it's what it really is. Do you believe that? Oh, I'm getting ahead of it. I'm going to ask you that in a minute. Look, it says, which is at work in you believers? You see that there? That's where we get our word energy. There is divine voltage that goes through our hearts when we believe the word of God. And the word believers there is present tense. And I point this out because it's not just talking about trusting Jesus to believe. Real faith, real faith is ongoing faith, and God's word creates ongoing energy. That's what it does. And you just heard the testimony from, from Brad Millard in the baptismal just a little bit ago. Now, here's a guy who also said in his testimony, he goes, he goes I, never, I, never, I never knew anything about being saved. I never even knew I was lost until I discovered I was lost. And that's probably some of you. You don't, you don't even know you're lost, but you are. But I love how Brad put out this indescribable adrenaline rush that he had. You know, when, he was, when the bullets were flying, his soldiers were next to him, his friends, fighting for the country. And I remember, when, I remember sitting out on the deck, he goes, I've, I've, I've never had that feeling again until I heard the word of God. Huh? Yes! The word of God effectively, energetically working in those who believe. The rest of this section here, Paul says, as a result, these Thessalonians became imitators of other Christians before them. They're suffering because we all suffer. Here's how I want to end our time. If the Bible really is the word of God, that's my question. If the Bible really is the word of God, do you love it? Has anybody watched the, uh, the show Pawn Stars? Raise your hand if you've seen Pawn Stars, okay? Yeah, it's been around for like 17 years. We, could, we got tired of it about four or five years ago. <laughs> but the customers come into this pawn shop in Las Vegas. They bring their artifacts, see if they want to sell them or pawn them. And lots of times these customers uh, walk away rejected because the experts, they pull in these experts, they say, yeah, well, let me tell you something. This is not Mickey Mantle's signature, all right? Rats, you know. And on and on. Uh, one customer brought in a, uh, one of the original manuscripts of the Book of Mormon, 1842, and it was real. It's worth $40,000. Let me tell you something. You might not be holding the original manuscript, but this is the Word of God. I'll take this over the Book of Mormon six days a week and twice on Sunday. Here's my questions quickly coming to you. Here they are. Do you believe it? Do you believe it really is the word of God? Don't be so quick to answer that question. Do you believe this really is the word of God? Do you? Do you welcome it as if God is really speaking to you? Because he is. This is God's means by which he speaks. When God speaks a promise to you, Will you trust him to keep his word?
He is faithful, amen? He, he has to be true to his word. But when he makes a promise to you, do you trust him to keep his word? And then this, and I know this is redundant, I ask this about three times a year. Will you commit to face God and his word before you face people in this world? Would you make that commitment? People ask me, what, if you get your people to do one thing, this is it right here. Will you commit to face God in his word before you face people in this world? And finally, Jesus was God's final word to us. Have you received him? In Hebrews 1 where it says, God spoke to us in many times and in many ways through the prophets in the past. He's now spoken to us today through his son, Jesus. Jesus is the final word. And he's called the word of God. Did you know that? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And as many as received him, received him to them, God gave the right to become the children of God. Back to those pawn stars. In 2014, this dude walks in with a guitar that Jimi Hendrix used to record his songs. And it was the real deal. It was the real deal. You got a picture of it, I think we're going to put it up here for you. In fact, Rick, who goes back and forth with, uh, uh, with these guys, and you've seen it across the counter, he, he, he finds out it's real. It's worth a million dollars. This guy, does, he's, worth a, he's holding a guitar worth a million dollars. And Rick doesn't want to lose this guitar. So he goes, I'll give you $450,000 right now. Can you imagine this across the counter? And I goes, no, yeah, I don't think so. He goes, uh, uh, $500,000. Mm. $550,000, that's as far as I could go. The guy goes, no, no thanks, starts walking away. Rick leans across again, $600,000. The guy says, no. And he walked away. And Rick lost out because that guy walked out. He didn't want to pay that much for the guitar. How much is it worth to you to have someone better than a great guitar? Worth way more than a million dollars. I just thought of this just now. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Psalm, Psalm 49, verse 8, I think it is, says, The redemption of their soul is costly. No amount is ever enough. And yet Jesus paid it all when he died on the cross for you. The word of God incarnate in flesh dying for you. Have you received him? If you have, then receive his word, your daily bread. And don't just read it. Love it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the word of God inscripted the Bible, the scriptures, at our very disposal with the author present with us at all times. 
For those that here, Lord, who know and, and love you, I pray that you, who know and love God, love the gospel, you've been saved, you would make a commitment right here and right now and in this moment to sit before the face of God before you stand before the faces of men. Would you just, would you make that promise? I know your life is busy. Never be busy enough to not hear from God. And God, I pray for those here who don't know you. There's still outsiders looking in, like Brad, lost and don't even know they're lost, but maybe they know they're lost now. Maybe that's you, dear friend. doesn't matter how young or old you are. You need a relationship with the, with the living word of God, with Jesus, who died for you and rose again for you. Will you place your faith in him today? And we will give you the praise, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.